Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by David Stokes, Jacob Puckett, and Coriana Beyer from the Show Me Institute. David, it's that magical time of year where people are getting their property tax bills. And what's going on with that? Well, people throughout Missouri got their property tax bills later than usual this year in a, in a number of places, uh, perhaps most prominently St. Louis County. But other, it's my understanding other parts of the state were a little late in getting it out, getting it out too. Uh, it's very it's very interesting. They just released at the state auditor's website the annual property tax report. They released that last week, and I'm going to be going through that to find out examples of, of property tax districts, school districts, fire districts, county cities. There's about three there's thousands of them uh, that saw significant assessments assessment increases in property valuations in their districts, but didn't roll their tax rates back. And uh, we were, I was contacted by one person about Lee's Summit R7 school district in Jackson County, which is a very large school district, which saw like a 9% property tax increase and actually raised its rate uh, this year. So on top of that giant increase, they saw a, a rate increase as well, which is not supposed to happen under our Hancock Amendment. I don't question the legality of it. I'm sure between the various technicalities in the amendment, it's probably... I'm sure it's legal, but I think it's wrong. Uh, similarly, the Kansas City School District saw a, a substantial assessment increase in Kansas City School District, and, and they kept their rates right just about the same. Uh, that's wrong. People should be lowering the rates so that these assessments don't lead to property tax increases. Those are two examples. I'm sure there's many, many more around the state, and I look forward to really diving into this over these next few weeks. So tease that out for us, if you would. So what do you mean? So the, the school district is assessed, and then what are the downstream well, if all the that? if all the home values, business values, farm values, and everything else that makes up your total assessed valuation, as that increases, you're supposed to roll your rate back. Assessments are not supposed to lead to tax increases for people. They do, inevitably. Uh, and it's okay if they lead to small ones priced in with inflation. But when you see... 9 or 10% assessed valuation increases, I think that the, first of all, it's frustrating because legally speaking, they're supposed to roll their rates back. Again, there are technicalities in it that'll allow them to, to not do it, I'm sure, but it's just wrong. Like elected officials should be, should be rolling rates back. In St. Genevieve, uh, you saw probably the biggest one-time county tax assessment increase I've ever seen. Like the assessed valuation of the county doubled. In, in St. Genevieve because the wholesome cement plant uh, came on the tax rolls after a 10-year property tax abatement. And that's worth, I mean, they're contesting the, the fight over that. So that doubled the county assessed valuation from about $450 million to about $900 million approximately. And because wholesome is contesting their assessment, their taxes are being held in escrow right now. So they didn't they didn't roll any of these property tax rates back in St. Genevieve, although to the credit, I did read a note in some minutes from the, pres the president of the school board who promised that once this law, this appeal of their assessed valuation is finalized, they will roll back rates. So it's coming in St. Genevieve. But it's very interesting. It happens around, around the state. And uh, I just look forward to, if anybody knows, if you're out there listening to this podcast and you know that you know, your city, county, or school district or anything else saw significant assessment increases and, and maybe raised its property tax rate at the same time, shoot, shoot me an email or hit me up on Twitter at David C. Stokes and let me know because I'd love to look into it. And another story that you've been keeping tabs on the last couple of weeks is this uh, Section 8 
rule in Maplewood. Fill us in on that. Well, we have a thing called source of income rules in around the country. And a source of income rule is basically a law saying that landlords have to accept Section 8 housing vouchers, which is the federal government's housing voucher program commonly called a Section 8. I think all of our listeners are aware of what it is. It's, it's not a bad program at all. It's, it's as far as federal welfare programs go. I think it's, it's a very justified and defensible one and, and well run. But what it also is is a voluntary program. Landlords are not compelled by federal law, and this is a federal program, you're not compelled to participate in it. You have a choice whether you want to accept the benefits and or costs of participating in the program. And there's no shortage of landlords around the country or in St. Louis that participate in it. There's no shortage of Section 8 housing available to low-income people. But we have three cities in Missouri, St. Louis, Clayton, and Webster Groves, that have passed these source of income rules, which I think are terrible, which mandate that landlords accept Section 8 housing vouchers if you're going to operate uh, rental housing in that, those cities. And you can get fined, you can lose your uh, business license, you can lose your ability to rent property if you don't do that. Uh, oh, I think that's, that's terrible. You should not compel people to to participate in a welfare program if they don't want to. Doctors are not compelled to see medic, Medicaid patients. Uh, stores are not compelled generally to accept a food stamp, although the vast majority of grocery stores do for pretty obvious reasons. They want to sell food to everybody. Just like that, we shouldn't compel landlords to, to rent and participate in the Section 8 housing program if they don't want to. So I think it's a Maplewood is now considering this. I don't want to criticize Maplewood yet because they haven't moved forward with a law on it. It's just being debated in the city, and I very much hope that they don't do it. And if this starts to really expand further around the state, I would hope the, the state legislature would, would step in. Is this commonplace in states that maybe have um, higher cost of living? Um... There, there is a listing online. It is, there's states where a lot of cities have this. And yes, like I think on the states on the coast, it, it is more common. It started in, it came out in Texas, Austin did it. And then the Texas legislature, state legislature passed a law saying cities cannot do it. Uh, I think it would be bad for, for housing and bad for low-income housing. What I mean is if, you, if you're compelling landlords to participate in it, people are going to think twice before renting property in one of these cities. People are going to go out of their way to find other excuses not to rent to, to people, perhaps people who should be, should be qualified to, to do so. So I think it's a, it's a bad idea, a bad program. You should not force people to participate in welfare programs like this and uh, – Again, if, if it really grows in the state, I'd like to see the state legislature do what they did in Texas and tell, make it the latest example of the state legislature telling cities and or counties uh, that they've gone too far in certain areas. Is there any timeline on when a decision will be made in Maplewood? I don't, I'm not aware of one, but from what, I'm, from what I understand, it, it pretty, it's likely to be done shortly. So I would expect something happening in, in early 2022. So yes, 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 you'll be hearing more about this on the podcast. All right. And uh, Coriana, over the last week, you've been sitting at your computer and just pressing, pressing refresh on your browser, waiting for the 2022 State Business Tax Climate Index to be published. Absolutely. It, absolutely. It's out. <laughs> it finally dropped. How'd Missouri do? Um, yeah, so the 2022 State Business Tax Climate Index is a tax foundation publication. They put it out um, each year for the past several years, and it's an index that looks at 
the business tax climate in each state and kind of ranks them in a bunch of different ways. It looks at the tax uh, structure, kind of how taxes um, are set up, like number of brackets, brackets, exemptions, that sort of thing, not just the tax rate. And Missouri ranked 13th out of the states, which isn't too bad, but we did drop two spots from last year when we ranked 11th. Um, so it's not it's not horrible, not great. Obviously, we want our state to be number one in everything, and um, Missouri often falls short of that. So the two the places where um, Missouri did worst um, in individual taxes is income taxes and sales taxes. And I'm sure that's not really a surprise to anyone listening. Um, our income tax, especially um, the reason kind of why we did worse is that we have a lot of brackets, even though they are sort of small, you do kind of start paying that highest tax rate at a very small income level. But we technically do have a lot of brackets. Um, and there's a lot of sort of exemptions. Plus, we have a few areas with local income taxes, which does get factored in there. And the reason that this kind of negatively affects the business tax climate is that all of these tax decisions affect business decisions. So if a business wants to locate in Missouri, they might look at surrounding states and if they have a better income tax climate, maybe a lower rate or just a flat tax where they know that all of their employees from the very bottom level to their CEOs will pay the same in that state, they might choose that over uh, locating in Missouri. So that kind of negatively affects our score. We We rank 21st in income taxes. And then similarly with sales taxes, we ranked 25th. That's even worse. And um, that one is, it's similar. We have a lot of the local sales taxes that makes our, the actual sales tax rate that you pay throughout the state much higher than just the 4.225, I believe the state sales taxes. And even that is a lot higher than other states. It's kind of middle of the pack there, which um, fits with a 25th ranking. And it's just, we want businesses to come here. I don't know why we wouldn't. And so governments make decisions like uh, adding all of these special taxing districts or, um, you know, raising tax rates. And all of that just makes it harder for businesses to come here. It makes them not want to come here. It makes us less competitive for our surrounding states. And that's it's not what we want to see. And does this index take into account all of those tax incentive packages that we've talked about on the podcast where uh, the state or cities are giving money to businesses to uh, either move a few blocks away or move or move into the state? Does that factor at all into this ranking? So they do talk about exemptions and things like that. So that may play a, a small part in it. But the way that they do the index, it is sort of a formula of sorts. So different things... Um, Uh, have a different weight in how they index. Um, And so I would say, honestly, that we most states don't have as many of the local taxes and the local problems that we have in Missouri. So in general, it's ranked or it's sorry, it's weighted a little bit less um, because a lot of states just don't even have that. So this index, I would say, doesn't totally take into account the full picture of Missouri, which is a huge, huge problem at the local level. It is a state business tax climate index, so it looks more at the state level with some local things factored in, but not very heavily. So I don't think that they really take into account the fact that the sales tax can get to almost 12% in St. Louis, or you have millions of 
billions, honestly, of tax dollars that are not collected and sent instead back to developers. And speaking of those handouts, one of those handout vehicles is TIFF, and you have a new paper up at showmeinstitute.org, a primer, and all, it's some great stocking stuffer for the holiday season for that relative <laughs> that may not know the ins and outs of tax increment financing. But just kind of give us the elevator pitch, the takeaways from it. Uh, yeah, so this paper is an overview of TIFF. If you have any questions or don't know anything about it, it's a great place to go to learn exactly what TIFF is, what it does, how it redirects sales taxes, sort of the ins and outs of that. And then I also looked at the 2020 TIFF annual report for the state of Missouri and sort of broke down all of that so you can see where TIFFs are throughout the state, which cities give out the most TIFFs or the highest like dollar amount of TIFFs and um, sort of how those have performed thus far. Um, they're all still active to be in that report. So, you know, they're maybe partially way, partial, partially completed, but they, um, you can kind of see whether they've delivered on their promises. Spoiler alert, they do not deliver on their promises. Um, and it kind of has some of the major problems highlighted in there and some of the solutions that local governments, the state legislator could implement to sort of fix the TIF landscape that we have here in Missouri. Great. You can find that at showmeinstitute.org. Also at showmeinstitute.org, you can find the writings of Jacob Puckett. And last week, Jacob, you wrote about EV subsidies. And there's been a lot of talk um, because a a rich guy said some stuff. Uh, what did he say? And what was your takeaway from it? So believe it or not, Elon Musk himself came out against uh, electric vehicle subsidies and mandates and subsidies for EV charging stations. Part of it might be because he has one of the most valuable car companies in the world right now and doesn't want uh, competitors to be able to get uh, a handout as well. But it's still significant. And I think if he looked at what some Missouri lawmakers and some St. Louis area governments are either doing or considering doing for electric vehicles and charging stations, he wouldn't be too happy. And the fact of the matter is, Thousands of Missourians buy electric vehicles every year. Uh, Believe it or not, Kansas City is one of the fastest growing EV markets in the country uh, and nationwide. If if we're to step back from Missouri, by 2030, it's expected that one out of every four new car sales will be an electric vehicle. So clearly, there's a market market demand here in Missouri and across the country for electric vehicles. And uh, so naturally, what do Missouri policymakers want to do with this? They want to subsidize it. So there's a bill uh, pre-filed here in Missouri that would give every Missourian who buys an EV a $1,000 tax credit for doing so. And several St. Louis area local governments are mandating that new constructions and substantial renovations of Uh, a a mix of commercial and residential properties, depending on what jurisdiction we're talking about, have to have EV charging stations built with them. And simply put, uh, referencing the market demand that I mentioned earlier, these mandates are unnecessary and they're expensive. For for the EV tax credit, the average St. Louis driver driving 200 miles a week uh, charging their EV at home, which is where most EV charging takes place, over the whole year, they would save about $600 in fuel costs compared to you know, me with my gas guzzling car driving on the same roads. So that fuel, those fuel savings alone should be enough to incentivize 
uh, or, or have a homeowner consider buying an EV rather than the state giving them an extra $1,000 to do so. And for the charging stations, you know, businesses and property owners will do this themselves uh, when they see a market opportunity with, uh, with EVs taking up a greater market share in Missouri. And not surprisingly, none of these mandates consider the costs uh, of, of what it takes to put in a charging station. It's about $5,000 per unit. Uh, here in St. Louis, Ameren will give a subsidy that covers up to half of the costs, but that's still thousands of dollars unaccounted for for each charging station that these local governments are requiring property owners to put in. And in the case of St. Louis County, each day a property owner is not in compliance with this. They pay a $500 fine. That's $500 a day to not do something that isn't benefiting people. And you know, like I said, in, in due time, it may make good business sense for uh, apartment owners or restaurant owners or shopping mall centers to put in charging stations so that their patrons or their residents can charge their cars uh, while, while they go about their business. Uh, and as more Missourians buy EVs, you know, these property owners will respond accordingly. And these businesses and homeowners should be deciding where these charging stations are going and when they're going in, um, not government officials. Well, my my only quibble is that you say in due time they may they will do this. I I think they're doing it now. Yeah, and my I, apartment right. complex has EV charging well, stations think, already, so that the demand's already it's it's happening. Then, it doesn't need to be. Then the due time is now. Yeah, right. it doesn't need <laughs> to subsidize at all. It's happening. Right. <laughs> There's no these these municipal mandates are are just crazy. They're redundant. It's, it's it's absolutely happening. Rest restaurants and stores and pl- places that pl- any place where any type of business where people go. And stay for a while. Maybe not go in and out, but stay for a while. It's a up. It's a great idea for that business owner to have a charging station there, so people will puse. If I want to go to a lighting store to look at lights, I say this because there's a lighting store near me that is Metro Lighting that has had an EV charging station for a long time. You know, any place you go for, it's an incentive. I can. I can go to all sorts of different lighting stores. I'll go to the one with the EV charging station, and I'll charge my car while I'm in there. It, it, restaurants are the same thing. There's no need for these these mandates, and the, the state subsidy is similarly uh, absurd. And I love electric vehicles, and I would presume that the next time we buy a car, it will probably will be an electric vehicle. But uh, these, no, these mandates drive me crazy. And to me, it seems like that it also might act as a deterrent for business owners that are thinking of renovating their – because that's one of the triggers, right? If if you renovate a certain percentage of your your business, you have to uh, adhere to this mandate. So I could see that if you're a small business owner and you think, well, I was going to spend this much money on um, renovating my, my business space, but now you tack on an extra you know, 5 10 whatever it costs to um, – to fully run the electric and put in the station. Now you said it was five grand, but there's other considerations. So I could see this also just acting as a deterrent full stop. Right. So for substantial renovations, uh, that comes out to 50% of the total final floor space. So if you don't add any floor space, it's just 50% of what you have. If you do add floor space, it's 50% of the final total amount of floor space. But as, as often happens with mandates like this, uh, the government officials don't necessarily think about the unintended consequences or the unintended incentives that they create 
when they uh, impose something like this. All right. And uh, just like Coriana, you've got a new paper out. I think uh, mm-hmm. it, it's being posted as we're recording right, real, right in now. Time. In real time. Um, so give us the elevator pitch and the takeaways of uh, your latest. Right. So um, my paper is on competition in Missouri's electricity markets. So if you want some, some light holiday reading, it goes through uh, a brief history of how electricity uh, gets from a fuel source to your home, what different laws are in place regarding uh, you know, whether you have a monopoly or in some states you have uh, the choice to pick between competing retail suppliers uh, to service your home or your business. And in the paper, I argue that those states that have embraced competition are outperforming states like Missouri that have stuck to a century-old monopoly model. And if, uh, if, if Santa Claus or Missouri lawmakers want to deliver something great for Missourians this year, uh, they should embrace the ideas in this paper. And have you seen anything in pre-filing that makes you optimistic that that's something that we could see action on in the 2022 legislative session? I'm very optimistic. I know something will be pre-filed. Uh, I've, I've met with the group that is pushing for this. I know they have some draft legislation that they're still working on. I haven't seen it pre-filed yet. But I do know uh, that there will be uh, a, a robust bill coming to the floor on this topic. Uh, Corey, unlike Coriana Jacob, I don't have a new paper to promote. <laughs> but but on my, I do want to promote on my Facebook page, I have some delightful pictures of my children. <laughs> there you go. So go to showmeinstitute.org for all of your policy and then head on over to David Stokes' <laughs> personal Facebook page to see uh, family fun. And my puppy. And our puppy. And your puppy. Great. Um, okay, let's uh, final wrap up of 2021. So as we move into the last two weeks of the year, David Stokes, what are you keeping an eye on? Well, in, in the past two weeks, the Kansas City Star has released a, an excellent series on development in Kansas City and the lack thereof sort of on, on Kansas City's uh, lower income east side and a lot of the problems with the way the city has managed economic development there with subsidies and the like. And one of the one of the best articles involved the, the many failures of the Kansas City Land Bank, which was entirely predicted by the Show Me Institute about 10 years ago when Kansas City wanted to do a land bank. And Audrey Spaulding, our policy analyst at the time, was writing and testifying about why Kansas City was likely to follow in the failed footsteps of St. Louis's land bank. So, excuse me, needless to say, they, they didn't listen to us then, and the land bank that they had such high hopes for has really been a failure, and there's a lot of great stories in the Kansas City Star, a lot of interesting stories in the Kansas City Star about why that's happened. And it should be, how it's particularly apropos, is St. Joe, St. Joseph just launched a land bank two years ago and is sort of getting going with that. So I'd love for St. Joe to read this story and stop, you know, just stop. Get out of the business before while the get out while the getting's good, and the same with Springfield, which is seeking state legislation to establish a land bank, and hopefully, after more reports like this, Springfield will either cease that attempt to get a land bank, or the state will simply not grant them that authority. Jacob, in addition to keeping up with the college football playoff, where my Michigan Wolverines <laughs> and my former hometown UC Bearcats are in the playoff, but yeah. Ohio State is not. Go blue. I. Exactly. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye on the electric competition bill that I mentioned. Uh, in addition, I, I, I suspect there might be at least one lawmaker 
reading my blogs on these EV charging mandates because a bill has been introduced that would require any locality that requires EV charging stations to pay those businesses the full cost of the mandate. Uh, so it, if, if the city tries to stick it to the businesses, then the state would stick it to the cities. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, but it's it's good to see someone taking a look at the other side of these mandates as well. All right, and Coriana, and to end your what you're keeping tabs on, I just need a score projection for the Michigan game that you will be held <laughs> accountable for in the new year. So. Um, okay. First, uh, there's a few um, economic development sort of things like TIF and uh, a few new things that have popped up across the state that I will be looking at. There's especially one where it was quoted that the TIF and the subsidy package would uh, have no financial risk to the city. And so I'll be tearing apart that argument because it's simply not true in a lot of cases. It's definitely not there's definitely no way to guarantee that that is a true statement, which in itself is a problem. Uh, so I will be diving deeper into that and arguing against that point for sure. Um, score projections. Well, I don't that, know. And that was the Brody Corner TIF in Springfield. Yes. You're talking yes. About there. Yes. The Springfield TIF, there's definitely no way to guarantee that Springfield will not face some sort of negative financial repercussions from that project. Um, I have no score projected. Who, what is the breakdown of the? I'm more. I'm mostly focused on Mizzou versus Army. Who is That's what, <laughs> what everyone's That's talking what about. But yeah. We, we're in, but what is the college? Who's playing who in the, the breakdown? Alabama is it? Who does Alabama play in the first round? Cincinnati. Alabama, since and Michigan plays Georgia. 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 All right. I, it's gonna be. I think it'll be close. I think it's gonna be an all SEC. Final. It's going to be 28 okay, 24 Michigan. That. And I had a dream the other night the Bearcats won 24 to 7. So go big there or go it is. home. <laughs> there you go. Basing it off of your dreams, are it, that's as much data as we need. That's that's, that's good. Um, okay, uh, so new papers up at showmeinstitute.org. Also, our 2022 legislative blueprint is up there, and we'll be posting new material all through the uh, next couple weeks, the last couple weeks of 2021. And we'll talk to you in the new year. David, Jacob, Koyana, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.